0: No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I don't
1: know. Summertime's kicking in a little bit. It's warm outside. I just, I'm ready. I, I could use a little break.
2: Okay. Uh, we do have uh, unlimited PTO. Take a little break.
1: Yeah, I do. Uh, the, the unlimited PTO is the absolute worst thing that's ever happened to me <laughs> in my professional life. I should, Seriously, man. So we have unlimited PTO. Now, uh, granted, like it's, I, it makes like having, oh, I got a doctor's appointment at one thirty, got to run off to, you know, whatever. Like right. that, that, that makes life a lot easier, right? right? But when it comes to like actually taking like vacation time, I took two weeks last summer. That's the last vacation I took, right. you know? And I'm going to take another two weeks this summer, and I'm pretty sure that's the last two weeks I'm going to take for the whole year. Now, when I started working here, we got three weeks vacation time. So I'm taking less time <laughs> yeah. because we have unlimited PTO. Is this just pure Jewish anxiety or is this?
2: I think so. Some some combination of Jewish anxiety and, you know, you, you, you need structure and discipline in your life. You need someone telling you the rules seems to be uh... – don't, I do. You do actually. know be leaving you to your own devices uh sort of sort of backfires. You you very over bad. you overcompensate. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I mean, can I how much should I charge you for this therapy session? Uh
1: I don't you're you're I, you know whatever you think I think because man, I think you're you know <laughs> there
2: I go. I left it up to you for how yeah. much to charge you. We're, we're never going to even... get an answer. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by USBets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets managing editor and media director, and I'm joined by my co host, USBets senior analyst Jeff Edelstein. This week on the show, we'll cover the latest details of the various college sports betting controversies, examine an adversarial marketing play from Profit Exchange, and dissect the biggest pot in the history of live streamed poker. Plus, I'll whine just a bit about the Derek White tippin that cost us much needed fake money.
1: And we're also going to be welcoming our U.S. Bets and Sports handle colleague Mike Seeley to the podcast. We're talking East Coast versus West Coast, NBA Finals betting, and uh, fair warning about a 10-minute uh, conversation on succession, which occurs about nine minutes into the interview. So if you don't want to hear it or if you haven't seen it yet, you know, skip through there. But, you know, really, by this point, come on, stop it already. Uh, <laughs> all right, before we get to all that, though, as always, Eric, plenty of news to discuss.
3: Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
2: We start the news section this week with more college baseball betting concerns and controversies as some details of a scandal we recently discussed are getting filled in. Last week, the University of Cincinnati announced it had fired two assistant baseball coaches with Fox 19 Cincinnati reporting that the coaches knew about a player's parent wagering on games and the coaches failed to report the violation to either the school's athletic department or the NCAA. It was a few days later that the connection between this story and the highly publicized Alabama betting scandal became clear. Sports Illustrated reported that Burt Neff Jr., the father of Cincinnati pitcher Andrew Neff, placed the red flag raising Alabama LSU bets at a sports book in Cincinnati, allegedly while in communication with since fired Alabama coach Brad Bohannon. On Wednesday, the Cincinnati head coach, Scott Guggins, resigned, although it was unclear if it had anything to do with betting since he was not accused of any NCAA rules violations. We should also note that, according to reports, Andrew Neff, the Cincinnati student-athlete, is not implicated in any of this. The obvious question here, Jeff, is whether knowing that a player's parent was betting on college baseball and not reporting it to anyone should be a fireable offense what are your thoughts on that and any other comments as this story continues to unspool yeah i think
1: to begin with i think anyone named bert neff should immediately be investigated by authorities <laughs> it's, a, it's a crazy name bert neff <laughs> sounds like an elmore leonard villain um i guess i don't know listen i i really don't know i mean i i guess did the coaches know that there was some kind of, you know, intelligence being passed along here? I mean, I, I you know, again, it's too, the details are too fuzzy. I, I mean, is it a fireball offense? I guess if they knew that the guy was getting some inside info, then probably. But, like, honestly, at the end of the day here, to use every cliche in the book, uh, the NCAA's general sense of sticking their head in the sand on gambling issues uh, is just going to continue to be a pain in the ass, really. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, it, I mean, that... that t- that to me is going to remain the biggest story in all of this. Is that like if the NCAA was a little bit, a lot better when it came to all this, then I don't think we'd be having these issues.
2: Yeah, I mean, there has to be something more to it with the, the two assistant coaches who got fired. Just knowing that a player's dad was betting on games and not telling anyone, if, if that's really all it was. Who cares? Should, yeah, that should be at most a stern warning, sort of a, a a you're in trouble if you don't report this sort of thing next time, maybe at most. So, um, yeah, but a player's, uh, like if my kids play in NCAA sports, I can't bet on, I can't
1: bet. Is that what we're saying?
2: Yeah, that's I mean, that's that's why there's got to be more to it. That, right. Because, yeah, you should be able to. And even the coaches can know that you're betting. There has to be a more d- direct connection here. So so I'm assuming there is. Uh, I will just issue a, a, a pure speculation warning here. None of this is fact. This is just what it could be. But, you know, it seems like either these two assistant coaches were engaged in the betting themselves and coordinating with Neff. You know, hey, put 500 bucks down for me while you're there something like that. Or they were feeding Neff inside information about, about their team and their players, or at the very least they knew all the details of the Alabama betting scandal and the inside info that he was getting. And they didn't tell anyone, even when the NCAA was going around asking the the college baseball community, essentially, you know, if you have information about this, come forward. That, that it has to at minimum be that, that they knew a lot and, and didn't come forward, on the specific scandal, not just on the fact that this guy was betting. I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine they got fired just for knowing that a player's dad liked to bet on college baseball games and, and failed to report it. Like you said, that
1: I would hope seems not. it
2: shouldn't be a violation.
1: Yeah, I know. I would hope not. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I, I guess we'll eventually know the whole story whenever the NCAA decides to tell us the whole story. But like, I really, the the, the more, you know, I, I kind of, you know, got yelled at a few weeks ago by gambling Twitter with my stupid, you know, oh this yeah, but it was just a thought experiment. It's not a
2: bad thing if gambling Twitter is yelling at you for the record. It it may mean you're doing something right.
1: No, I mean, my point was that it was a modest proposal, like Jonathan Swift eating a baby. Like, obviously, Mm -hmm. I didn't really mean for it. And I said so in the column that I really didn't mean for it. Right. Nobody reads the column, Jeff. Nobody reads it. They just read the headlines. Yeah. But, like, the idea being that, like, the sports books should be like, yo, NCAA, get your head out of your ass. Let's get, you know, can we please, like, start having injury reporting? Right. Can we please, you know, allow athletes to place a legal wager like Like, on games that they're not participating in this is this is this is craziness you know because all it's going to do is continue to give the industry a black eye, not the ncaa
2: yeah absolutely more more everything out in the open more more reasonable rules more clear reporting on on everything and you avoid situations like this and it's still just kind of funny to me to to zoom out and note that this all started because a guy bet on a heavily favored team to win and they won. I, I realize there's a lot more to it than that, but just on the surface, the game and the result just yeah. aren't anything unusual, but it, it spiraled from there. Um, and uh, just one last note is you, uh, uh, you, you singled out Burton F jr. As the name that has your attention here. Yes. The name that has my attention is Scott Guggins. Tough name. Googans. Tough name. Not that, not that different from Walton Goggins, but somehow sure. Goggins is way better than Guggins, even though it's just one letter off. So. Yeah, I, I I've
1: always wanted to write an Elmore Leonard style novel. I think this might be the this might be You're the You're gonna build
2: it around Bert Neff Bert Neff Jr. This,
1: this might be the precipitating incident.
2: Okay. Can you put a, a Guggen's in your novel as well? Done. Okay. <laughs> um, let's move on to our second story, which takes us to Jeff's home state, New Jersey, the best state to live in if you're a sports better looking to have as many options as possible for how and where to make wagers. New Jersey is the only state with sports books that offer exchange wagering right now, and one such operator, Profit Exchange, has gotten aggressive and creative in courting customers specifically by encouraging them to bet with the competition. When one of the major sportsbooks like FanDuel or DraftKings offers a boost on a specific bet, Profit is encouraging customers to make that boosted bet and place an arbitrage bet at Profit Exchange at a price that guarantees the better will come out ahead. For example, FanDuel had a boost on Heat Celtics Game 7 for either Tatum or Adebayo to score the first basket at plus 300, Profit priced a bet on anyone other than Tatum or Adebayo to score the first basket at minus 250. So you bet both sides at an amount that Profit Exchange spelled out on its social media account, and you lock in a small win no matter what. Seems to me a smart way to get the attention of bettors and maybe attract a few new customers. Uh, Jeff, what do you think of this marketing move, and any new thoughts on the long-term viability of an exchange wagering site?
1: I love I love marketing moves when companies like you know directly take on other companies like like Pepsi Challenge like that was awesome you know what I mean yeah. like we're we're just going for it you know so yeah I think it's I think it's smart you know I think it's fun um and I don't know I I I think that these exchange sites like profit and sport trade here in New Jersey um, would they'd have a lot more potential if they were allowed to cross state lines, right? Like even if they get legal in right. all 50 states, you're not going to be able to, you know, like have a liquid market in all 50 states, you know, like with money transferring back and forth. So that's not going to happen. But, uh, the key to their success, I think here, yeah, it's been about a year now that they've both been live, mm-hmm. but I think the key to their success is uh, crystal clear and it's, it's to steal another marketing line. Remember, remember Sims, the suit people? Suit. You're you're re- yeah, they yeah. sell suits. Sims. S Y M S. You're gonna re- you're gonna remember when I give you their, okay. their marketing. All right, list. let me hear it. An educated consumer is our best customer. Hmm. I I, don't I, 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 right. I really don't remember. Maybe, I, I know the Pepsi challenge, but I don't know the Sims right. stuff. Well, maybe maybe Sims was just a New York thing. But Could their have. their tagline was an educated consumer is our best customer. I'm getting to a point. Trust me. So. <laughs> I mean, Simpson's out of business, also, so maybe it's worth nothing. But the point is that profit and sport trade, honestly, they should be cleaning up in New Jersey. I mm. mean, they routinely have better odds, you know, on money lines and, and right. spreads and, and and totals, you know, um, in New Jersey. But people just don't know or don't care. You know, if I was if I was running marketing for them, I, I, I'd find I don't know, I don't know how you do it, but I would. I just actually like hand out a hundred bucks, you know, you're, Oh, you want to, here's a hundred dollars, you know, you know, here's $200 come to my site and bet. Right. No, Try no strings attached. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because listen, if you're in, you know, now granted, I know like most recreational bettors present company included are not that price sensitive. We're betting SGPs. We're doing this, we're, you know, betting parlays, yada, yada, yada. But like, really, if you're betting straight, you know, money lines or or spreads or totals like in New Jersey and you're not betting with these guys, you're leaving money on the table every yeah. time, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, you, you really nailed it there with sort of the people either don't know or don't care. I think a lot of it is the don't care that I think that the this marketing move kind of speaks to what exchange wagering is as compared to betting against the house with the giant sports books that, you know, exchange wagering is for the serious bettors who are looking to grind out profits and and actually make money as opposed to losing money slowly for entertainment purposes. You know, the, the pros and the semi-pros seem to love exchange wagering, and Arbing fits right in with that. You know, you are looking to make a boring, no-sweat, five bucks wherever you can. So... so I, I like the marketing move. It's potentially attention getting, but it but it very much fits the mold of Profit Exchange or Sport Trade or any other exchange wagering site. I'm not sure if it has any wider appeal. You know, if the is the casual better interested. Do do they care about that arb to lock in a few dollars of profit? There's there's no entertainment in that. So they may say Nah, I have my FanDuel account, I'm putting fifty bucks on a game, or I'm doing a ten dollar SGP, I'm good. So I, I I like this marketing idea. It's creative, it's interesting, it's something we can write about. Um, but I think it's possible that Profit Exchange is just marketing to its existing audience here, pretty much, and, and that the better move might be what you said, give everyone two hundred bucks to to convince them to give exchange wagering a try, because they probably just either don't know about it or aren't interested in trying it until they get a taste for it.
1: I'm really toying with the idea of writing a story or a column or a feature or something like asking like the question, like why are we so stupid?
2: (laughs) I I think it's a fun uh, column idea. Why, why does the average sports better not, not like making money basically?
1: (laughs) Yeah, because like I, what I don't, I mean, because I think like you care like when you go to the supermarket, you care. Like when you're trading stocks, you care. See Robinhood, right? Like mm. I don't know. It just seems like you know why. Why would you leave money sitting on the table? It just doesn't make sense. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. There nothing it- pleases me. Nothing pleases me more than catching a little arb or taking a casino bonus and turning it into five bucks right. and say, oh well, that's like five dollars less than I'm going to lose today. You know what I mean? Like playing DFS or whatever. I, I don't know. It just it seems foolish to me. It just seems like there's very few people that are. Price sensitive in this world when the whole point is money. Like, this is exactly where you want to be price sensitive.
2: Well, yeah, the whole point, uh, is money it's to like, some, and it's entertainment to others, I guess. But even yeah, even those who are just doing so, it for entertainment are trying, are hoping to win right, money. It's not like, so right, it's not like if I go to the supermarket, I could spend five bucks for the Heinz ketchup or three
1: dollars for the Shoprite ketchup. Well, at least I'm getting a ketchup here, and like the, it might mean <laughs> right, something to me for the two dollars. Right, right. But if I'm betting five dollars at draftings and five dollars a profit, like to win, I'd rather win five and a quarter. Than win you know four ninety
2: five you, you know what I'm saying like yeah. it's just money there's no ketchup the, it's just money there's no ketchup that should be a slogan for somebody I would think right. uh, I th- I can already see I love the the idea of this opinion article and I I can already see us writing a headline that oversimplifies it and gets you in trouble all sports betters are stupid by Jeff Edelstein yeah. and nobody clicks on the story to understand why and you just take a lot of heat for it yeah sounds about right okay. Um, For our third story this week, we're going to talk poker, Um, but it's not World Series of Poker related, even though the WSOP did start Tuesday. The poker spotlight was stolen late Tuesday night when Hustler Casino Live played host to the biggest pot in the history of live streamed poker. Uh, Tom Dwan, one of the best high stakes cash players in the world for the last 15 years plus, won a $3,081,000 pot against Chinese pro Westside Wesley Faye. And it was made all the more entertaining because the broadcast failed to read Dwan's cards. So the audience was following along blind, knowing what Wesley had, but not what Dwan had. Wesley had Ace King, which uh, Doug Polk in the seat next to him saw by accident. Uh, and Wesley three bet with the Ace King pre flop. Dwan four bet, Wesley five bet, and Dwan called. On the 883 flop, Dwan checked, Wesley bet, Dwan called. The turn was a five, exact same action check, bet, call. And on the river, a six, not a card likely to change much. Dwan checked. Wesley moved all in for Dwan's remaining $786,000 into a pot that already had one and a half million in it. Wesley buried his head. Dwan talked it over and thought it over for several minutes and finally made the call with pocket queens, which, of course, beat Wesley's ace high. So Wesley lost about a million and a half bucks in a single hand on what ultimately was a bluff. Uh, I have a a long viewing history with Dwan. I I find him about as entertaining to watch as any poker player. Not sure if you were familiar with him before this or not, Jeff, but uh, give me your thoughts on how it played out and whether it gave you the itch to gather up a couple million bucks and sit down in a big cash game.
1: Yeah, uh, no, it was very exciting uh, to, to watch it. I, I'm not, you know, I I went, you know, when the post money maker, you know, I went just like everybody else. I watched a lot of poker, but I really I haven't watched it in years. I never, you know, didn't know who any of these people were.
2: Okay,
1: uh, but I was it, it was curious to me that the hand played out the way it did. Um, it made sense, obviously, for Dwan to stay in and on you know pre flop or whatever. Mm-hmm. But by the end, it seems like he like it. There was like the I don't know it just it, it, I this is why I'm not a professional poker player for the record <laughs> because I I would have ran far away at that point
2: I would have like you know cut my losses no I don't know so you're saying if you if you were holding the pocket queens even if you'd called the flop and the turn when he goes all in for, on, on the river even if we even if we. Let's let's shrink the amounts da- down to a more reasonable. Let's say that it was you know you sat down with five hundred bucks and the last of your five hundred bucks was now being put at stake. At that point, you're you're believing him that your queens are no good and you're. Falling. I don't know.
1: I I don't listen. I during this whole I
2: used to play poker with my friends like
1: on a daily basis like you know late high school college like I, I thought and I was pretty good. I thought I was like the king of poker, <laughs> right. you know. And then I went to Atlantic City and I played like a you know I entered like a little you know like a eighty dollar sixty dollar whatever whole tournament mm-hmm. i remember sitting at the table shaking uh-huh. like, shaking yep. like a leaf yeah and playing horrible poker and feeling you, you know like that old line i forget maybe it's doyle brunson said it, but i don't know who said it but you know if you look around and you can't spot the sucker it's you uh-huh. i i looked around i spotted the sucker immediately and it was me <laughs> like and everyone else right. did i if i had lasted five minutes i mean i am not cut out for this world of, right. p- of poker playing so i don't know what i would have done but like okay. just just to, to to see that hand through with for and i know like these these poker players say that the money is not real money to them you know it's blah blah right. blah but still i don't know i don't know how, that that's too much too <laughs> right. much for me too rich for my blood
2: yes to use yet another cliche uh yeah, yeah the, so I know the line first uh, from Rounders about spotting the sucker, but it it may have existed somewhere else before that. Maybe Doyle did originate. I have no idea. Um, but uh, the 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 shaking thing, very relatable. I <laughs> I, I definitely when I play live poker, which is very rare these days, and even when I was playing somewhat live poker, uh, I was still pretty, not something I did with great frequency. Anyway, I've I've had some live poker success. I've won some small tournaments, but. I'm always nervous as hell the first few times I play hands until like you've won a big pot. Once you've like scored one big pot, you've beefed up your stack a little bit. Then I relax. And like I've, when I've gotten to like the final table toward the end, by then like the nerves are gone, but early on, absolutely like just freaking out about the, the very idea of, of having to play a pot against somebody. It's, it's so weird how that, uh, how that kicks in that way. Um, In this particular hand, I found the factor of Doug Polk seeing the cards mm, to be a fascinating cool. wrinkle. I yeah. I suspect that Dwan was able to deduce from the way he was talking that Wesley probably didn't have pocket aces or pocket kings. And, yeah. and, and maybe that made all the difference in him making the call. You know, Dwan seemed more worried about trip eights with eight, nine suited or, or some kind of hand like that. Um, but, you know, if that made the difference, that of course is all Wesley's fault. He wasn't protecting his cards. And then he openly showed Polk after Polk had folded his hand. So uh, that may have backfired on him. If I'm going to critique Wesley's play, um, I think the the third barrel on the river against Juan was a mistake. I think fire on the flop, fire on the turn. But once he's checked, called you twice, he has to have a hand. Um, even when we as the audience didn't know his cards, I actually was thinking pocket queens exactly, just based on the way the hand had played out to that point. Maybe jacks or tens. It didn't seem like kings to me until Dwan, you know, when he started thinking out loud on the river, he said like, he was like wondering if uh, if Wesley had aces. That's the first time that I thought maybe Dwan has kings. But I kind of thought if he had kings, he probably would have put in another bet preflop, a six bet. So I I doubt he's calling flop and turn with like ace queen or or something like that and there's a very good chance he's making the call on the river with any over pair seems to me like Wesley's river bet only really works if Dwan happens to also have ace king and and then then you're successfully bluffing him off a split pot um, but you know for the most part that was one of those situations where Wesley is going to get called by the hands that beat him. And the hands that he can beat are going to fold to him, so he should probably just check his hand at that point and, and hope that Ace King is good. But it's a, it's a gutsy river bet. It takes a lot of balls, but I, I think it was a mistake, at least against Tom Dwan. I guess not against you.
1: No, I would have folded like a cheap suit from
0: Sims. <laughs> nice. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling.
1: Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
2: One of the highlights for me of the SBC North America Summit a couple of weeks ago was finally meeting in person, a gentleman I've been working with for a couple of years now, but I only knew him over Zoom, Google Meet, and Slack until our overdue manhug in New Jersey. He is a return <laughs> guest on Gamble On, but this is his first appearance in the Edelstein era. He is an editor and writer for U.S. Bets, Sports Handle, and MI Bets, an experienced drinker of booze and smoothies in equal measure, a diehard Seattle sports fan, and uh, someone who's a little too into Taylor Swift for a guy in his 40s. U.S. Bet (laughs) Senior Analyst Mike Seeley, welcome back to the podcast.
3: Hey, good to be here, fellas.
2: Um, So as I mentioned, you were at the SBC Summit in Jersey, and then you hit the road again soon after for a conference in Vegas put on by UNLV's International Gaming Institute. Give me a little compare-contrast between the two events. Like, I I tend to have the attitude that if you've seen one industry conference, you've seen them all, but uh, did did either of these provide a counterpoint to that?
3: Yeah, well, the first counterpoint is the difference between Secaucus, New Jersey, and Manhattan that we experienced <laughs> um, at the SBC Summit. Um, thankfully, Secaucus is but one easy New Jersey transit bus ride away from Manhattan. And uh, I did get to eat at Red Robin for the first time in a long time, so that, that was good. <laughs> um, but but to your, to your main point, um, SBC and UNLV's International Gaming Institute co- Conference could not be more different. And um, and it's very heartening in in that way. Um, You know, you go to SBC, and it's what you would expect out of a gambling conference. You know, it's mostly male. There's a lot of deal-making panel discussions that, you know, reveal some enlightening stuff, but um, can tend to divert towards standard issue talking points at times. Um, The UNLV summit couldn't be more different. I mean, it's, first of all, Um, It only occurs once every three years. They had the presence of mind to somehow schedule around COVID. Um, And and most of the crowd comes in from out of the country. So Americans are in in the minority at that conference, I would say. And also in terms of gender split, it's pretty close to 50-50 men and women. Um, So I think what I found there is, you know, we're a very immature gambling market here in the United States both in terms of sports betting and really gambling at large um but if you look at the rest of the world it's just kind of woven into the cultural fabric especially in Australia um and you know you've got these brilliant minds who study this industry like it's it's any other which it is um so that was i mean really really reassuring and heartening for me it really made my brain hurt trying to get my head around all this stuff that that was discussed but but hey, it's good to test our boundaries at times and um that that IGI conference was was really great
1: for that. You know, you mentioned the uh you know how how it's not how sports betting isn't really, you know, taking foot to taking hold of where you are. I'll get my words together, don't worry. And <laughs> uh you know, I'm on the East Coast, I'm in New Jersey, or you know, here in Pennsylvania. You know, sports betting uh ha- is now part of the fabric of the conversation uh for sports fans around here. And I'm guessing it's not really out in Washington, you know, uh, the, what, you know, the West is the pioneer spirit where where you, know, where you guys are dropping the ball here. Now that you spend some time on the East coast here during legalized sports betting, what uh, outside of the obvious difference, like that there's sports betting here and there isn't where, you know, in, in Washington outside of uh, tribal casinos, I believe. Right. That's right. Yeah. So what, what do you think's holding it up? What's the differences? What, what is the, you know, the, the, go West, young man, go, go forth and prosper. What, the, what What's going on?
3: Well, you touched on one of them. I mean, the biggest difference, if you're just talking about the Pacific coast, um, Washington, Oregon, California tribes have a tremendous amount of political clout to the point where you're not going to find many lawmakers in either party willing to take them on. If it doesn't have the, the tribes approval, you're not getting it done, especially in Washington. And I think, you know, obviously we saw what happens when the commercial entities take on the tribes in California, that doesn't float either. Um, So, yeah, here in Washington, we just have sports betting at tribal casinos. You have to physically go to one, which, to be honest, for someone like me, um, probably a good guardrail. Um, But, uh, you know, in in Oregon, DraftKings has the mobile monopoly through the lottery. Um, California's got nothing. And then you got Alaska and Hawaii, which I'll throw in here. I think they just want to be different and are still kind of pissed off about us colonizing them.
1: How You know, I have a question (laughs) for you now. I mean maybe it's east coast bias but when I think of I think of Washington Oregon and California is like one block basically because it's all connected and it's on the coast you guys consider Alaska why they're like little brothers of yours or how do, how do you, how does that work
3: Oh I think Washingtonians have a real kinship with Alaska I mean if for no better reason than Alaska Airlines is headquartered in Seattle okay. that's, that's the connection for me
1: I'm learning something new every day. I don't care about yeah. anything in between the coasts. So this is this is <laughs> illuminating. I appreciate it's
2: all it. it's all just flyover country to you, that's, huh? Jeff?
1: that's that sure is.
2: All right, let's uh, let's talk some uh, NBA since uh, you are probably the chief hoopsologist on our staff, Mike. Uh, the finals start Thursday night. I expect Denver to win this series convincingly. I expect Jokic to win MVP of the series. But for Game One, with the rust factor for the Nuggets, what what do you think of Miami on the money line? I'm seeing them as high as plus 310 at Caesars and FanDuel. Is there a decent chance that they become the first road team to win a playoff game in Denver this postseason?
3: Oh, very much so. I mean, you know, first of all, they're a great road team, and they've been a great road team in these playoffs. Second of all, what you mentioned, you know, Denver's had, what, eight days off or will have had eight days off by the time um, Thursday night's game tips off. Um, Absolutely, rust could be a factor there. Um, And unfortunately, the NBA cuts the the team that goes seven games a little too much slack. I mean, they, they should be playing a little bit earlier to give Denver the right advantage and to, you know, make sure Miami or if Boston had emerged from that series to make sure they're properly fatigued. What I'm saying is going up, you know, sweeping should be a bigger advantage in terms of scheduling. Um, but no, not only do I think Miami has a good chance of winning game one, I think they have a good chance of winning game seven in Denver, and I think they have a pretty good chance of winning the series.
2: Wow. OK, because I'm i coming in feeling like as great as Miami's run has been this postseason, that it's been against the right sort of flawed teams in Denver is not showing any of those flaws so far and has been so hard to beat at home, even if Miami can steal one game sounded that that they may, they may need to steal two uh, to, to win this thing. To me, that I, my first thought was at eh, Denver in five, something like that. But you, uh, you think Miami's pretty live to win the whole thing.
3: I do. And odds makers tend to agree with you here, but I'm basing my logic on the fact that, you know, th- this Denver team has never been to a finals before. And sometimes you kind of have to knock on the door mm-hmm. before you get it done. Now, that being said, I want the Nuggets to win. Eric, you know from our um, arguments over Slack that I'm the biggest Nikola Jokic stan um, around, and, and you're the biggest Joel Embiid stan around. I, I
2: was until a couple of weeks ago. All now, right. Well, there now, you go. Now, so now um,
3: I, I do want Denver to win from a fan's perspective, just to show, just to to shut that whole argument down about who the best player and center is in the NBA.
2: I think uh, most people would say, for the moment, that argument has been shut down. Even even Philly fans are not trying to claim Embiid is better than Jokic. Hey, at, we'll see. Moment. Nick and, Nurse and seems, might seems even Bucks fans are are kind of in, like at this point, it's Jokic has passed Giannis as the the guy in the NBA. It seems.
3: Mm-hmm. So, well, we'll yeah. see what the co- coaching carousel does for those other two guys. So right. Nick Nurse might be the right doctor for Joel. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the whole doc nurse thing. I don't, I don't know how that didn't occur to me until someone else made the joke first. But, uh. So yeah, all
1: right, basketball, blah blah blah. Uh, succession <laughs> finale. Sun yeah. this past Sunday night, guys. Let's let's get to the real stuff here. I, let's just. I'm going to open the floor. I mean, I, you know, I I think in the end here, now that it's you know, spoiler alert. If you haven't watched it, fuck off. Uh, <laughs> in the end, I I think it ended exactly. There was no surprises as far as I was concerned, really. You know what I'm saying? Like I, uh, you know, every you know, we spent so much time. On who's going to be the CEO? Blah, blah blah. In the end, it doesn't matter who the CEO is, really. I mean, it, because th- that's that. But like, and, and you know, and Eric had a great idea. Like, what's the last shot going to be? Um, when we did that fake odds column, and you know, I thought it was I. You know, I had Kendall as a favorite. Obviously, the favorite. It's a tragedy. This show's a tragedy. Kendall's a, It's Kendall's story, and he's a broken man.
3: Does he have to be a broken man? And and here's why I bring this up. I mean. At the beginning of the season, and this they just dropped this thread at some point, um, the Sibs, once they got over their idea to launch the 100, um, my application's been in for for several weeks now and they haven't gotten back to me about a spot on the staff of the 100, but um, they had the deal in place to buy Pierce and that was contingent on the sale of Waystar Royco. So technically, that deal gets triggered, right? If these three siblings can somehow come together or Kendall can find Stewie and um, all the guys he's kissing on Molly to invest in, in their stead. You know, I I, I don't know if, if does that...
1: Kendall have it in him though? Like, to, I mean, he's lost everything. He's lost right. everything. He's lost and his man. family, his job, his future. His you know. Well, he hasn't his, his... lost
2: everything. He still has the money. Well,
1: he has yeah, the money. No, money. yeah, no. <laughs> but, but he's, he's lost,
2: lost everything else.
1: Yes, he's lost everything else. Does does he does he have it in him to climb out of that hole? I don't hmm. know.
3: He's still, got I mean, his bo- he's still got the body man, guys. He's, he's right there in that last no, frame.
1: Thank God. And shadows. I think, you know, I mean, um, it's a good thing.
3: But Kendall I, being Kendall all it takes is a couple bumps of some sort of synthetic drug, and he's back on top of the world. So I think, he, uh, I think he's he's on top of Pierce if this series goes any further.
2: Well, it's I, I, not. So, yeah, okay. Right, well, Eric, right. go, please. No, well, that, that's – I mean, that's sort of the interesting thing is that the the series doesn't go any further. This is where it ends. It's not really an ending. Like I think in the sense that like anyone seeing it will say, okay, yes. Uh, the, the musical chairs ended with Tom as CEO. If the series continued six months from now, he's probably out and someone else is in power. And you know, it was just sort of like, this was the stopping point, not necessarily the real conclusion of, where their story was headed and leaving us to discuss what's next. What would have been next for Kendall? Could, could the Pierce deal still happen? You're absolutely right though, Mike, that they, that was a big plot point that they just decided to ignore down the stretch.
1: But the way star Royco story is over. And that's, that's the story we've been told. Yes. Yes. Tom CEO. Yes. He's married to Shiv married, you know, quote, yes, he's married to Shiv, but like, it's not their company. It's not the Roy's company anymore. They don't, they don't, they own nothing of it. You know what I mean? Right. So, so, From that, that so, it ended, so
2: that perspective, so that that
1: you know, the story is over. You know, I guess what happens to these people, like going down the road. You know, who the hell knows? But uh, I think I, I was I was very happy. I was very satisfied with with how everything played out. You guys,
3: no, ahead, no, I wanted I wanted Greg uh, as CEO, as you guys know. And I think if you're looking down <laughs> six months, if you're looking six months down the road when Tom gets fired. I think Big Sexy Greg Hirsch <laughs> is that CEO. He. He uh, he can out Tom Tom and in terms of just being um, a kind of an empty suit um, for Matson to uh, to funnel his ideas through. Hey, I had a question for you guys. I thought you know obviously Alexander um, Scarsgard was in Zoolander, and so was Owen Wilson. I really feel like the character of Matson um, was channeling Owen Wilson's character in Zoolander throughout this final season, just like wow. the psilocybin in the morning. Like that stuff really <laughs> reminded me of Owen Wilson's character. That's in an
2: interesting thought. I will say that uh, I, th- I think Matson was kind of the weak link of the final season in that. I never really felt like I understood that character. And I don't know if that's me criticizing Skarsgård or me criticizing the writing or what exactly, but I felt like that character wasn't really tethered to much of anything in terms of what his motivations were or, Feeling like I knew him. I mean, they obviously need. He played an important role in the plot, wise. But, um, but, uh, but, 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 y- your your cousin Greg bet. I, I I think I hear what you're trying to say here. Is it just it got graded too early? If if this extends, maybe your cousin Greg bet uh, cashes in the future.
3: Yeah, well, point point bet already paid out on it. So I'm <laughs> gonna
2: Oh okay. Good. <laughs> I, well, I want to say one other thing. Eric knows
1: this about me, Mike, I, and he I, it was he definitely found out like via accident because I was probably doing something. But I, I am, like, a six-year-old, I think, in that, like, if I watch or read or listen to some form of entertainment, generally speaking, I start taking on the personality traits of, like, favorite characters in, in oh. such a thing. So, like, you know, when I, like, watch The Sopranos, like, I'm walking around the house, like, hey, where's the fucking gabagool? You know, and I, but it's not an act. Like, I'm really doing it. But this show, this show, not, never once did I walk away from it saying, oh, I'm Kendall Roy. Like, all the characters were so shitty Right, no redeeming qualities. Like not, nothing about any of them that I wanted that I wanted to embody, and yet, could not, you know, could not be ripped away from it. I think this show has, you know, we could we could argue Pantheon, we could argue Best Prestige. I think of all the shows, I think this show has the best shot to to be studied in fifty years. You follow what I'm saying? I could see very bored high school students having to slog through this at some point.
3: Jeff did you ever go you remember remember the uh, Logan's birthday party ill to the o g oh, yeah, yeah you, did, yeah, you yeah, go yeah. around the house singing that to your kids all week? no,
1: I just I was full of cringe. I that's a, you know i, I God I mean listen whenever I rap to large audiences, you know i I make sure that like you know I, we' have tested it, you know that I have all my my beats and rhymes
2: down
3: smart right yeah that's smart.
2: The, you. O- the only way I'd say I've been influenced by that behavior on the show is I now exclusively ride city bikes to funerals. That's <laughs> that's the way that I let it uh, impact me.
1: I think we're going to need to put like a little uh, note before the interview starts when we tape the rest of the pod saying if you don't want to listen to <laughs> – Three morons talk about succession. Please, you know, <laughs> fast forward to the X mark.
2: Who, who is the Kendall? Who is the Shiv? And who is the Roman among the three of us? We'll, oh. we'll, we'll save that for the next appearance. We'll oh, wait, whoa, wait, wait, no, let's do it. Let's no? do it. All right, do all it right. now. Let's do it. Well, All
1: right, so one of us has to be Shiv too. That's interesting. All right. Sure. Uh, yeah, we can
2: we can bend genders here. I think to to make that fuck. work. <laughs> Clearly, well, Mike Mike showed off his rapping skills, so I guess he's got to be the Kendall. Ooh. All right, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. All right now you,
1: you, you now you pick who who's who's your Shiv who's your Roman.
2: You just said you're a 6-year-old so I guess you're Roman and I'm Shiv. I, mm-hmm. I think that's how it that's how it has to uh, land. All right. I'd make a great mom. That's all I want to say. <laughs> all right. Happy, uh, happy uh, warm
3: gasming, Eric. <laughs>
2: <laughs> on that note, uh, Mike, thanks for uh, joining us on the pod. Great talking to you. And, yeah, uh, yeah, anytime. Next time a prestige drama ends uh, and you, you have a big long shot bet almost come in, we'll have you on again.
3: Deal. You guys got it. Thank you so much.
0: Two men. Two
2: men. $10,000.
0: Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
2: Let's update our betting bankroll, and the negative momentum has been reversed, uh, thanks largely to your sharp wagering, Jeff, Uh, but it could have been a whole lot better. Could have been a much more pronounced momentum reversal if certain things had happened one tenth of a second later than they did. (laughs) Uh, Before we get to Heat Celtics game six, though, we had our game five bets. I tried to semi hedge against my Heat in six bet by taking them to cover in game five. It backfired. We lost one hundred five dollars. You won one hundred dollars back, though, with over twelve and a half points for Derek White, which smashed. Um, Speaking of Derek White. If he doesn't get that tip in to win game six, we turn my $50 bet into $550, but instead we lost the 50 bucks by a tenth of a second, maybe by the clock starting a tenth of a second late. Who knows? Uh, a, a brutal blow to our collection of fake money, and I had it in real life too, so uh, yeah, that that one hurt a bit. Uh, anyway, in other sports... Your baseball bets, uh, another win for betting based on weather reports, as you won $100 on the Padres' Nats over. Your Arenado-Homer bet and the parlay that involved that Homer bet got voided since Arenado didn't play last Thursday. And lastly, I got us a winner in boxing. Uh, Luis Alberto Lopez was a plus 105 underdog, and he dominated and knocked out Michael Conlon in the fifth round. We won $105 on that one. So for the week, we won $150. We're now down by $2,842. $2,842. We also have 1357 on hold in futures bets, and that leaves us with 5801 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, Jeff.
1: They're bigger, they're faster, they're more rested. Nuggets and four plus four sixty at FanDuel for 100 bucks.
2: Ah, oh, all right, Nuggets and four plus four sixty. Uh, I, I like it. I heard some uh, another podcast sort of. Uh, at much, much lower odds, taking the Nuggets in four or five. I think Mm. that was like closer to pretty close to even money. Um, But uh, you're just going, going all the way here, which uh, when we get to my second bet, we'll uh, learn that we can't possibly win every bet this week, but but that's okay. Uh, I like this one at 460, and I think it's got a great chance. And yeah, if they, uh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about, uh, about my thoughts on game one. Actually, I'll, I'll I'll dig into them here with a, a simple bet on the NBA Finals. I'll note that we already have Jokic for Finals MVP at minus 170. I'm very proud of that because his best price now is minus 335. Um, But the bet that I like on game one, the Heat are a mediocre offensive team, excellent defensive team. The Nuggets will be rusty. The Heat will be tired. These Nuggets have never been to the finals before, as Seeley pointed out. They could be a little tight. To me, it all adds up to betting the under for game one. Bit of a rock fight tonight. That's what I see. So let's go 110 to win 100, under two hundred nineteen and a half points.
1: All right. All right. I'm going to do a little, uh, I'm going to go off basketball here, do a little baseball. Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to turn the clock back 10 years here. And we're going to do a run line parlay. Mm. Uh, With the Mets giving one and a half runs and the Red Sox giving one and a half runs. The Mets to the Phillies and the Red Sox to the uh, I don't even know who the hell they're playing. And I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Is it the Reds? Uh, The Reds, the Reds, the Reds, Uh, both home uh, Scherzer and Sale on the hill. Both, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, that's where the 10 years ago was coming from. But both have finally looking real sharp this year. Like the last both in their last few starts. The Reds are not a good team. Scherzer, the Phillies, you know, the Phillies are good, but I don't know. At first, I just did a money line parlay, but it was like 150, uh, minus 150, uh, plus 150. That's not good enough for me. So we're going to do the run line parlay. Plus 362 for 100 bucks.
2: Okay. Uh, I will root against it because sure. uh, my Phillies desperately need a win but at least uh, you know there's uh, this is the emotional hedge for me and the emotional all in for you. Um so uh I'm going back to uh, NBA Finals game 1 for my second bet uh but I'm not keeping it simple with just the under here. I'm doing a same game parlay. Risk a little, probably lose a little, but maybe win a lot. Uh we start with the the under 219 and a half. I'll start with that as my first leg. Uh Um, My second leg, Jokic, over a slightly elevated line for rebounds, over 13.5 rebounds. I figure if we're headed for the under on the total, that means plenty of missed shots, more opportunities for rebounds, and 14 in a playoff game is normal for him anyway. He's averaging 13.3. He's playing extra minutes, 39 per game, so over 13.5 rebounds. Now, the one non-correlated leg, Caleb Martin, over 14.5 points, He's red hot. He averaged 19.3 against Boston. I'm not sure it continues all finals, but for game one, why not? Uh, He's certainly not going to be afraid to shoot uh, jacking up between five and eight threes each game. So we need over 14 and a half points from him. And then the long shot. This one could well cost us the parlay, but I'm taking Sealy's advice that Miami is live on the money line. We can't win both this bet and your Nuggets in four bet. Uh, but uh, for the purpose of this parlay, we're taking them to win the game. Put those four legs together. Miami wins under 219.5, over 13.5 rebounds for Jokic, over 14.5 points for Martin. It's plus 2,500 at BetMGM. So let's go $30 to win 750.
1: Oh, I hope we win that. Yes. Better to win that than the Nuggets sweep. So that was, right. that was, that's good. So now I'll root for that. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, for my last bet this week, I am sticking to basketball. But going over to the WNBA, hmm. uh, the Minnesota Lynx take on the Connecticut Sun tonight. Nafisa Collier over 16 and a half points at FanDuel. Uh, they have player props for it, WNBA over at FanDuel. Uh, I'm going to put $200 down at minus 114.
2: Okay.
1: Why 200 instead of my standard? Why am I going two units here? Yes, uh, why? She's played five games. She's hit the over four times. The only time she didn't, she fouled out. So, I mean, the you know, the offense runs through her, and uh you know i'm I'm just taking past performance indicative of future uh, performance here,
2: okay, do you want to uh beef it up ever so slightly just to make the math easier so since I don't know what Did I say two uh, hundred I meant two twenty eight two twenty eight perfect yeah. even better, so two twenty eight to win two hundred yeah, okay, i I like that much better. That's what I meant. Okay, Um, so for my final bet or bets, as it turns out, I asked my brother Dave for some French open bets. He follows tennis much more closely than I do. It's a little tricky with matches going on as we record Thursday morning. So some bets are unavailable. Um, For example, he likes the men's six seed rune to make the finals on the weaker side of the bracket, but we can't bet that right now. So we're just going to go as long range as we can and bet on the two favorites to win the title. On the men's side, Carlos Alcaraz is as high as plus 145 at FanDuel, so let's go 100 to win 145 on him. And uh, we'll have fun rooting for him to beat Jokovic uh, in the semis if they if and when they uh, both Yo- get there. Jokovic plays. He plays tennis also. <laughs> sorry. Uh sorry. You're right. It's close. You know, what? It's, I So it's Djokovic, right? Djokovic. I mispronounced it because I've got uh, Jokic in my head. But oh, yeah, Jok- Jokovic, if we could combine them into one or or Jokic, I guess would be the other way to uh, sort of fuse their names. But this is yes. Uh, Novak Djokovic. Yeah, okay, boy, it, boy! It's all confused. All these letters and sounds mean nothing now in my brain. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, so that's a uh, hundred to win one forty-five on Alcaraz, and on the women's side, Iga Swiatek is minus money at some sports books, but she's still plus one hundred five at BetMGM to win the tournament. So let's go a hundred to win one hundred five on her. I'm uh, I'm being very boring and betting the chalk, but uh, you know, sometimes it pays to be boring. Yeah. Hopefully. Sure. Yeah. All right. That'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to this week's guest, Mike Seeley. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and Jeff at Jeff Edelstein, and follow US Bets at us underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling, and subscribe to this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, Jeff, please take us out. Eric, remember COVID? You remember COVID, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. it feels
1: like a million years ago that we were locked down, but it's only been three years. It's only been three. Things have dramatically changed. Since then, one of the things that have changed, as everyone knows, is the concept of work. You know, mm-hmm. I think Stephen Roth, I've read this in the New York Times, great quote. Stephen Roth, CEO of Vernado Realty Trust, this is what he says on an earnings call when discussing the five-day work week. He says, I think you can assume Friday is dead forever monday is touch and go and it's the truth so mm-hmm. many people that i know in like you know basically what like, i guess what we could call white collar jobs fridays have really become like non-existent for like getting anything done at best maybe you're getting things set up for the following week maybe it's always been like this but i feel like now it's like a thing like it's just understood right right um so today i call on our national leaders to officially make friday part of the weekend. Uh, other countries like Iceland and Japan have been dipping their toes in this. Mm. Uh, A lot of US towns and cities are playing around with it. And uh,
2: if I I may interrupt, if if we make Friday part of the weekend, then doesn't sort of Thursday become a slack off day like Friday currently is? Hopefully. Um, Hopefully. (laughs)
1: But, you know, I do think that the sports books of America, by the way, what does that have to do with gambling? Well, here we go. I think the sports books of America should lead the charge on this. Because what, after all, right, if you're running a sports book, Turning Friday into a weekend day is only going to be good for your bottom line. You know what I'm saying? It's just another day of like daytime sports and nighttime sports. You know, it's a 24-7 sports now all of a sudden. And also think about this. Think of the goodwill that, uh, you know, the DraftKings and the FanDuel's of the world will get when there are commercials which run 24-7. Instead of begging people to bet, now they're going to be begging our national leaders to create a four-day work week, right? They're going to be begging our leaders to take Friday up behind the woodshed and just kill it once and for all. This is easily the best idea I've ever had. Someone get me Jason Robbins on the phone. Let's do this. Let's make Friday and one extra day to gamble on.